75% art, in my, in my opinion, and 25% science. Because the science is available to any, everybody who's got, who's got a brain. So the science, look, everything was bang on. Yeah, we could do this. Like in the prep program, I think that worked out if you came in for a coffee, you're going to buy a muffin. So, gee, why wouldn't we do that program type thing? So, because we can see the incremental growth. But the art of it was lost in that journey because you could see then how the program was going to be gained. Uh, loyalty business is so valuable in the airline context. It's because of the art of bringing together customers, brands, and partners, and doing it in a beautiful way. You don't know what you're going to do next. Employ thick people because they won't <laughs> mess anything up. Because... Is that why you employed me? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. We help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll explore what role science and art play in creating a winning loyalty strategy. And to help us explore this fascinating subject, I'm joined by Alan Lias in Brighton. Hello, Alan. Ian, good evening. How are you doing? Alan's in, his, in all his warm weather gear because you've been out in the garden, I understand, Alan. I have. It's finally, the gardens are open. We've had a few friends round and all of them, all of them are gagging to listen to this lovely podcast. They insisted on telling me what we're going to say. I said, no, you're going to have to wait until we broadcast. No, favorite, no favoritism. Yes, there's loyalty, but not to my family. Exactly. Well done. And uh, Craig in New Zealand. Hi, Craig. G'day, Ian. G'day, Alan. G'day, uh, listeners. Hi, Craig. So to get us started tonight, can you each give us a quick brief introduction to yourselves and your experience? And particularly where you've launched or something new or been involved in something creative within um, within the loyalty industry. So um, who'd like to go first on that one? Alan, would you like to kick us off? I think Craig. Okay, Craig, off you go then. <laughs> hello, hello, everyone. I'm Craig Grimshaw. I have, uh, last count, nearly 30 years ex- uh, loyalty experience across a range of different industries, both client and agency side. The things where I've been launched uh, interesting loyalty programs. Uh, one of them was uh, around trying to get New Zealanders to save for their health, so which was a whole new proposition in, in play, linking in uh, a financial product as well as insurance product and putting that into a customer proposition and then uh, rolling into a getting New Zealanders to save for their future, or sort of a front end for a superannuation fund, and then uh, doing a couple of different startups and different approaches around the utilisation of and the convergence of payments and loyalty. So. Oh, brilliant. Okay. And uh, Alan, how about you? I guess I'll, I mean, I've been around the block so many times. I suppose the first loyalty play I got involved with seriously was actually at American Express. So I started my career at American Express and I, I was assigned to the Optima program, which was the first time American Express launched a credit card. Albeit I was working in the European business, so it got launched in the US. But it was very much a loyalty play because, as you, oh, as we all know, American Express is a charge card. But they figured out actually we need to have a law, uh, sorry, a, a credit proposition. So it was all about loyalty to the franchise. So I guess my first loyalty experience, without realizing it was a loyalty play, was working on the credit card side of American Express. Following that, I, um, I. I suppose the next loyalty thing I got involved with without realizing it was loyalty, I set up a business um, that was a performance marketing company. And one of our key clients was Sainsbury's. 
And for Sainsbury's, we launched an energy proposition and a mobile proposition. And again, I suppose we figured it was a, in itself, a business that Sainsbury's could make a play in. But of course, from Sainsbury's perspective, it was a much, much more about deepening relationships with customers. And um, after that, worked in the energy business for a while, which is an interesting one. That was much more about stealing loyalty away from the incumbent, which was British Gas. And I got involved with uh, a, a company that was uh, set up as a result of deregulation in the energy business. But then after that, I got involved with more traditional loyalty environment, which was Virgin Atlantic. And I ran Flying Club for 12 years. So the airline loyalty program for, for Virgin Atlantic. And of course, that is much more a mainstream loyalty play. Um, and we try to do our best, given that it was a small airline, relatively speaking, but with a big brand. Learned a lot from that, but sort of accidentally and on purpose, I've been involved with loyalty since I was, I don't know, um, hairy. <laughs> That's some time ago as well, Alan, isn't it, really? And, uh, and, and I'm Ian Pringle. I, I guess people that listen to the podcast know my voice from, from several things. And um, and I've, I've been, again, similar to you, Craig, 28 years experience in loyalty programmes. I guess to my shame, I mean, and I a lot of the programmes I've been involved in are big companies and... I mean, Alan and Craig, you'll back me up on this, is that big companies generally tend to be not very good at creative. So I don't think I've got a great experience, a great um, track record myself personally in being involved in, in some creative activities in the loyalty space. I think I've, I've seen lots of examples outside of where I've, I've worked, but um, big companies, as I said, don't tend to be very good at it. And, and where they have done things that have been creative, I've, to my shame, I've not been a great supporter of the creative arts <laughs> over the years. Um, one of them, I mean, people who've worked with me and listened to the podcast will know the one I'm going to talk about is when we launched the Avios brand, when we had Air Miles was a brand that was very well known in the UK, had lo- many years of, of long history and heritage amongst the customers. And that brand was changed to Avios. And Fred Prego, who was our marketing director at the time, did a brilliant job of creating a very creative ad that had everything flying. So they had toasters flying and, <laughs> and lawnmowers flying and barbecues flying. And it was a really creative ad that won great awards. And I guess I, I wasn't a big fan of it in the strategy stage because we're replacing a literal brand with an abstract brand. And I felt that an abstract ad probably wasn't going to hit a nail on the head. But actually, when we did launch, you saw the Google AdWords from Air Miles and Avios were absolutely mirrored themselves. So customers got it straight away. Um, Gee, nice. Unfortunately, I don't think customers that were in the target market particularly got it in some ways. I was—I remember being in a pub soon after launch and uh, there were two guys playing pool and one of them looked at the ad and said, what the is that advert about? <laughs> <laughs> As he saw a flying toaster fly. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it, it. It was really creative and it, it absolutely got the net. I mean, to, to have, I'll, I'll, I'll post in the link on this on, on LinkedIn, I'll post the Google AdWords thing straight after launch and people got it straight away. So congratulations That's... to Fred Prager and the team because it was a really, really great ad. And, and I didn't, I, I must admit to my shame, I wasn't a massive supporter of it before it went live. So... <laughs> Uh, I suppose you've got to admit when you're wrong in life, don't you? <laughs> you do. Just on that, like the the thing I um, and I hopefully we'll flesh out this a bit more in the podcast. Creativity is not just the creative components to do a execution of an ad or the execution of a particular marketing campaign. What I would like to have a discussion about uh, is the whole breadth of the value chain and loyalty and the creativity that you can apply in 
that value chain across the various segments. The execution to the customer is a creative component, but there's various components, and I'm sure Stu Dennis would totally agree with this as being financial is very creative, but there are elements in there where you need to be creative to enable propositions to come to life. So I think this is part of the discussions I'd like to play out. I'm sure Alan would be all over it. I agree, Craig. And and what's really interesting for me, and the, the reason this space is so fascinating and enjoyable, is you've got multiple brands falling over themselves to create propositions that excite customers, their mutual customers. And that's what's great about it. It's almost like organizations that don't normally collaborate come together because there's a common good. And that common good is how do you make the customer experience better? And if you do it right, everybody wins. Customers, program, brands. And and, and it's an open door to everybody. And that's the beauty. That's the sweet spot that we're all after. And on that sweet spot, have you got examples, anyone, where you've seen this work particularly well? You know, where you've seen the art side and the creative side. And to your point, Craig, in whatever part of the value chain you're talking about, where's the examples that you've seen it work best? I look at um, you. Everyone has heard technologies and an enabler, and everyone has said what a crock of sh- uh, <laughs> it, it, that is. <laughs> However, there's, there's some things that have been going on of late that I look at and go in the technology space. And just so all our vast listeners are aware, I tend to transition between technology and business. So I try and uh, translate between the two. There's this whole world that's coming out in terms of, and people have said, I actually saw a phrase, which I know you both were like called headless loyalty yesterday. And I thought that was another crock because all headless loyalty was talking about was having a loyalty platform linking in via APIs. There's a whole um, technology layer, which is not just loyalty-centric, which enables uh, the software to run on no servers. So that is a significant enhancement. And the creativity component in that, to enable that to occur, would be the IT boffin sitting in the back end enabling that. What it means for the loyalty program operators, their cost structures are significantly reduced. So therefore, the, the viability of a, a loyalty program is far more easily accessed through this creativity done in the technology side to open that out. And then conversely, you've got the the world going on in the customer experience space with the mobile apps and the utilization of payments and loyalty and integrating those into into a, a mobile app proposition that works for a customer. And one cracker use case is Air New Zealand have created, the, they've got a, a mobile app, you can do boarding pass, all sorts of stuff. When you go into the lounge, you can order your coffee. It prompts you to order your coffee. The reason that they put that coffee order in there is because people, they noticed that their on-time performance was significantly dropping. And so they back, backtracked it through and people were getting caught waiting for their coffee on the wrong side of the security gate. So they said, let's create the, the carrot over in the lounge rather than have oh, the, and yeah. uh, the, and Mark Street from who's no longer at New Zealand was a guy who, who's worked all this out and said, right, let's create this proposition. Everyone in the lounge loves it. So that yeah. I'll look at that and go the business issue, the creativity, the technology, it all, all flows. It makes those customers really sticky as well. That's outstanding. Yes. I mean, it's an interesting point you make about Air New Zealand because I often look at the bigger the company I find it is, the harder it is to be creative. And yeah. I often find that the best place to look for creativity, especially in the big industries, is the smaller players. And I always look at Air New Zealand. Air New Zealand, always great at this stuff. And so are the likes of Baltic Air. I always think Baltic Air yeah. are absolutely out there. 
They're based in, in, in the Baltic regions. Yep. They're really great at technology. They're really light on their feet. They do some beautiful stuff. And some of the things they did, I mean, some examples I can think of over the years is they, they were worried about their customers not having their addresses right because people were you know not updating their addresses because people were using email all the time. So they did a beautiful campaign where they... They put Father Christmas coming to land on your house. They basically took a Google images <laughs> of your address with 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 a, with a and put a sleigh on top of it and said, you know, is this your house? Because Father Christmas is coming to the wrong house unless you give us the right house. And that 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 sort of stuff is just beautiful, you know. And also, they were one of the first out there with those with with the kind of running apps, you know, earn miles for running and doing these things where. There, it, it, can you call it loyalty? Yeah. Can you call it gamification? Who cares? It's an engagement platform. And they were they were way ahead with that sort of stuff. And I guess it's I guess my point is smaller companies, lighter on their feet, you know, who can do these things and also have a brand. I mean, Alan, you you know this is having a brand like Virgin often gives you a license to do things that British Airways don't. You know, absolutely. And exactly. It's also part of the. You also have to sort of punch above your weight if you're a company like Virgin because. Whichever business of Virgin it is, whether it be a, a, an energy business, a teleco, a telecoms business, a financial services business, or a travel business, the great thing about Virgin is that, or Richard Branson, he's tried to empower customers. He's tried to enable consumers to recognize that they have a say. And he has always been, I guess, at the vanguard of championing customers. And I think where we come into this, where loyalty comes into that sort of overall uh, play is, is we help customers recognize them in themselves how much power they have from loyalty. And if we take, there's plenty of, most of our transactions, even you know us slightly law savvy people, most of the money we spend, we'll spend it anyway. And we don't feel particularly good about it. We just do it because it's part of living. So where an organization or a brand can really light up just buying stuff is through the loyalty mechanic, whether that be emotional, whether it be transactional, but, but more importantly, it's at an emotional level. And so if, if more brands recognize what they could actually do with their customers in terms of a basic sort of thank you mechanic it's it's just so powerful because we have to we have to buy stuff we have to buy stuff whether we whether we get more out of this experience or less out of it we have to buy it and so why not why not be on the customer side and i'll give you a great example of that alan you know i i buy my contact lenses when i do wear contact lenses from vision express and you know Every time I get those contact lenses through, there's, there's, they put a tiny little packet of Haribo in there. Nice. And I know, nice. And I know Adam Posner calls it joyity, you know. And, um, and it, joyity, it's, yeah. it's those little That's things. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, doesn't cost you anything, and it, nah. it, it must be easy to do. And you know, it's those creative elements that you don't need. You don't need a license from the from, from the MD uh, to get it done. You know, Ian, just, I, just I, do funny you that. Nah. I bought I bought a light fitting from an electrical wholesalers recently. And it had a Mars bar in it. And, Brilliant. And yeah. I, I, I'm not a half, eight, half eaten or was well, it? I, well, I'm not a big fan of Mars bars. <laughs> and obviously I tried to plug the Mars bar in, nothing happened. And then I realised what I was getting wrong. But, <laughs> but, but I'm telling you about it and I've told everybody about it. 
Yeah, why not? What, how know. stunning is that? A Mars bar in a, it was like an Amazon yeah. package, but it was it was directly from the wholesalers. Opened it up, a light fitting. Nice. And their brochure and a Mars bar. Lovely. Brilliant, brilliant. And what do you think stops big, we've all worked for big brands. What do you think stops brands from from being creative or, or applying the art? I mean, you know, they all apply science. I mean, how many, how, you know, every brand I've ever worked with now has armies of analysts and armies in, in finance. But what do you think stops them being more creative? That's a great question. The one oh, thing I've oh. seen is, uh, eh, sorry, Alan. The, the one thing I've seen is the over-reliance on research to validate someone's decision, which may not be aligned with the customer's expectation. And they need the research to validate it because they don't have the confidence whether rightly or wrongly, to make a call on where that should go. The, the thing I've seen that may change over time with this uh, rush of companies to go to an agile environment is the, the great thing about agile, and there are some negatives, but some great things, uh, that agile actually provides a test and learn approach rather than relying on research. And so it gives, and I was with a client yesterday and we are talking about it, and the, the test and learn is exactly where you should be and it may actually uncouple some of the restrictive bounds that occur in a corporate environment to enable, and ideally someone with a, a more um, uh, confident approach to go, right, let's try this, let's try this and have that environment and call it agile, but doing what they should be doing rather than relying on research. Research is, is valuable for a particular reason, but you, if you know your business and you know your customer base, do test and learn. That's my, that's my thoughts. Absolutely. And you know what? I, funny enough, I mean, Ian and I go back a long way. And um, uh, this science versus art or art versus science sort of um, dilemma. I mean, one of the best quotes I've ever heard in business, and I can't remember his name, but it was the chief exec of Burger King when they launched salads and it failed. And the analysts asked him, what happened? You launched salads why did it fail he said we did a load of customer research and our customers lied to us <laughs> and, <laughs> and that Brilliant. quote I mean, i'm slightly <laughs> paraphrasing but that's exactly what he said that's the bottom line you know you you can't in business we all know there's when we say art we also mean judgment you know you yeah. You know, you, you can't ask your customers for what to do. If it's as simple as asking your customers, right, I know what we're going to do. We're going to set up a business and we're going to ask our, our potential customers what they want. They go, this is what we want. And then we give them what they want. We're all going to be millionaires. It doesn't work like that. The yeah. problem with a spreadsheet, the pro and I love spreadsheets. I love numbers. Don't get me wrong. But we all know from a spreadsheet. I'll give you an example. I worked When I worked in the energy business, I in advance of where I should have been, I became managing director of an energy company. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I blagged myself through the interview and got the big job. And the finance director was already appointed because they had to wait for me. I was on some sort of restrictive thing. And I said to the finance director, right, what are we going to do? He said, well, what do you want the answer to be? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, whatever you want the answer to be, I will make it the answer. All right. And he said, look, we can do spreadsheets all day and we'll come up with what you want to do, but we can't do it without a vision and without a judgment call. But then we'll back it up with numbers. Nice. 
and that's it. Yeah, but they're not mutually exclusive. That's the thing. No, like it's not right, the Craig. way I view it. You're right, and it's not you're art right. versus science. It's art and science. And so you need the the great thing is we all know um, loyalty programs help you uh, get data, and you have a myriad of data that can do a whole lot of things. And and as you've just quietly right uh, rightly said, Alan, you can create that data to do whatever you want if you've got that judgment. But you've got to have understand the business, understand what you're trying to achieve, to then go right. How do we craft that into what we want to achieve? So you use the the underpinning data to, to as a basis to move forward and to get insights to then do the action. And I know you you're, you're sort of saying you like you like spreadsheets. I mean, of all the bosses I've ever worked with, and I think you've you've you were the one that had the art and science packaged up. You know, you would look at the spreadsheets and you would look at things and you would look at them and look at them and and ask the right questions. And then you'd always take a step back and said, "Do I really believe this, Ian?" And I remember we've had a few arguments where you said. <laughs> Ian, I don't believe it. I, I've, I've seen the spreadsheets. I don't believe it. We're not doing it. And, and I, all the respect for you for, the, for, for saying but, that. Yeah, Ian, thank you for saying that. But you, we all know as well. I mean, we know the five or ten yeah. metrics we can all look at, all right, in terms of whatever business it is, particularly a loyalty business. We can look at those metrics and, they, you know, they revolve around, obviously, the usual stuff around frequency, uh, around value, around recency, yeah. products for customers, and about yeah, exactly. And we can look at all those numbers, and and we can go look. You know, only three percent of our customers generate twenty eight percent of our revenue. We can look at only four percent of our customers in the last twelve months have done something. Only eight percent of our customers in the last sixteen months or thirty two months or more have done something. That, that we can do all that stuff. But the, and, and, and we should. But then the question is, how do you join the dots? And actually, yeah. ironically, the science is, right, give me an insight as to where we are. The, the dot joining piece is the art, but that's really good commercial acumen. But then you reset yeah. the science again. So you've, you've, done, the, yeah. you've done the bit. Exactly. Where are it's you? A yes. And then where are you? And that's when you move to the next level. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, the other thing I wanted to raise in this about, uh, which I've, I found, and maybe you find it as well, is I often think that if the if the ticket isn't big enough, it doesn't get a big enough focus. And and mm. I'll give you a really good example of that. So, um, Alan, it was after you left Virgin, but um, we, if I had come to the senior management team early and said, "Look, I'm going to get a five percent. We're going to have a five percent offer from Waitrose, where people, our customers can earn five percent." Uh, um, commission which we turn into miles at Waitrose everyone would fall over themselves to do that deal in fact you would be taking years to do that deal we that deal was created through card linked offers in in a, in, a, in a couple of months dead easy we had it but because it wasn't on the plan and because it wasn't months in advance and because it didn't have a million or million pound ticket against it everyone ignored it and <laughs> it was only when Rob Burgess presented it on head for points that it it went crazy and it was overnight forty seven percent of all the transactions on that um, Virgin program was through collection at at Waitrose and with no promotion other than Rob Birch's really pro- providing it and I think it was because you know those beautiful things can happen but yeah. unless it's a big ticket in a big company it's ignored and and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's it's nuts it's lost in all yeah. the noise isn't it but lost you know what noise. this yeah. the, the, what I loved about this whole air this whole subject area of art versus science what i loved about it and maybe partly because 
I saw I, I can do the numbers, but I'm 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 lean much more towards the art side of it. But it, for me, and Ian, you and I have had this conversation about leadership. And for me, there's only two kinds of leaders in the. There's either Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock. That's it. All right. Yeah. That's true. And and Mr. Spock, he's the number guy. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. He's the CFO, meets the CIO, meets everybody. But then Captain Kirk, he knows what to do. and But he listens. And then he makes a judgment call. And I think leader leadership, whether it be business or government or whatever, you know, we were talking about COVID-19. You know, yeah. in New Zealand, Craig, she is a Captain Kirk. Because she yep. listened to the scientists and she went, no, all right? Our strategy is going to yep. be we're going to, we're going to lock down New Zealand and that's it. And, yep. and so in business, it's the same thing. You know, this beautiful arbitrage between art and science. And that the real winners, the real winners are the people, frankly, it's 75% art, in my, in my opinion, and 25% science. Because the science is available to any everybody who's got who got a brain, the art is different, especially in loyalty. It's especially in loyalty, because we can measure everything. If we were in a, exactly. if we were an FMCG business or some other bit, or, or if we were selling something that required radio advertising, it would be about art. But actually, it's all about science and loyalty yeah. to its detriment because we can measure everything. Yeah. And so the winners in that environment, where assuming you've got people that are good as good as measuring as everybody else. So we're all really good at measuring, you know. The, yeah. I, you know, the, the, I mean, I've worked, I've been lucky enough to work from very, very, very good blue chip companies. And when I worked for Express, I can't remember who it was now, one of the leaders of the company said, right, everybody's smart in this company. Everybody's really smart. Everybody can do the numbers. Everybody can come up with a view. And he said, the trouble is, he said, that if you... The trouble is with really smart people. If they go in the wrong direction, they create so much more damage than stupid people. All right? <laughs> and, and he's right. Because you can do the numbers. And back to what we said earlier on this conversation, if your numbers tell you this, but they don't, they can tell you anything you want. Hey. Off you go. And if you're really smart, you'll go so powerfully in that direction. It's, it's game over if you're not careful for hey. the business. You're better off with thick people not doing anything, but but actually, <laughs> but actually, you're better off with people that have got judgment. Which is for me, big, big. art and judgment is the same thing. Art, judgment. Which leads me, which which leads me rather scarily to the last question, which is, can you sum up your three things that um, bits of advice you give people in program manager? So, are you saying you should employ thick people, Alan? So <laughs> you're if you don't know what you're going to do next, employ thick people because they won't mess anything up. <laughs> because, is that why you employed me <laughs> no that's why Virgin I that's why Virgin, the that's why Virgin employed me and then I employed you which is the best thing I ever did yeah. <laughs> so what would your what would your three advices be so you were going to employ thick people and employ me what was the other one <laughs> I, you know well it well, I mean, Craig, if I, my top, well, I'll, if I go first, I'll, I'll come up with one suggestion. I mean, 
in my experience, um, if you if you've got some good people around you and decent people around you, uh, that are nice people and clever people, even if they're not clever, if they not you know like academically clever, but if they've got a, a gut feel as to how things should be, for me, it's it's how do you set the people free in your business? So, so what my first tip would be, and I'm going to hand over to Craig after this. You need to you need to remember, as a leader, that you need your best asset and your most important asset is your people. And I know that sounds trite, but that is still true. And you need to listen and let your people, the people that work in your business, really flourish from a from a, an idea perspective and. Because the lower, as we all know, that the the closer you get to the customer, the the better informed, therefore, the associate is to make good decisions on behalf of the customer. And generally speaking, I know that's again another trite thing, but if the customer likes it, is it you're, you're probably going to make some money. And so it's how do you you know how do you democratize decision making in businesses? For me, that's one of the big things. I just wanted to carry out. Uh, before we ask the top three questions, the one thing I, you're talking about, the data science, uh, sorry, uh, science piece, and the, the we mentioned the, a couple of previous uh, podcasts around Tim Horton and then the and the PrEP program around the, and so, and, and I think Phil made the comment around how science got in the way of art. So the science looked, everything was bang on, yeah, we could do this, like in the PrEP program, I think that worked out if you came in for a coffee, you're going to buy a muffin, say, gee, why wouldn't we do that program type thing? So because we can see the incremental growth. But the art of it was lost in that journey because you could see then how the program was going to be gamed. But just to carry on for the top three, I I bang on about your culture, uh, Alan, because I think if you've got the ability for people to have that freedom to test and learn rather than rely on research and give them the opportunity and fail fast, and just keep moving and keep releasing, not only does it create the right environment, but the customer also is excited because there's always new things happening in the program. So, and, and not only just the customer, but if you're in a coalition program, typically the partners are wanting to see what's going on in the program. And if you have this continual test and learn process, then that, there's always constant evolution Absolutely. going on in the program. The second thing I'd look at is, as you said, understand your customer. Understand your customer. You need the science to help you understand the customer. You need some research to understand your customer. But go to the shop floor. Go to go out and talk to them. You yourself need to go and see that customer and experience what it's like. And then understand your business and your brand. The thing I liked about what you're saying, the Virgin and the Baltic Airs and the Air New Zealands, they've all got that, that license in the brand to do really stretching stuff. It's not a confined brand. If I look at American Express, you're restricted to what you can and can't do. You've got brands with with those three that I mentioned, and there are significant others as well. Starbucks is another one. You've got the ability to stretch. So use that capability. Understand what your business is about because the loyalty program supports your business and how you can work collaboratively to get that going and stretch yeah, it out. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. What about you, Ian? Yeah, the one, the three I was going to have. One builds on what you were saying about um, innovation is is value the easy stuff, you know, and give give as much value to the easy stuff as the big stuff if it's good, you know. And I I, I just cannot stress that enough because the big brands just don't they don't value the small yeah. things. 
The next is, and this is an interesting, and I wonder how, how you guys feel about this, is when I run tenders, I really look for small, flexible, capable suppliers who can innovate with me because the yeah. big guys cannot innovate, right? You know, <laughs> If you're with, and I'm not going to name names, big loyalty providers who say they're flexible, they're not because they're just trying to replicate the market. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I know I know Phil would back me up on this when he did some stuff with Hit It that then became Amadeus. You know, yeah. the reason why he could break the market and try new things was because he was with Hit It and Amadeus. Yeah. You know, who, yeah. which became Amadeus. He you yeah. wouldn't be able to do that with with the big guys. No. Um and and that's so true. And if I I say to people if you want to, you know, try new cool stuff, try and find new cool guys you get on with who are small, capable um and then the other one I would say is consider the widest choice of mechanics. If you're not particularly creative yourself, you know, there are things where you could cast the wide, the net wide to look at all the gamification things. And mm. there's a bunch of ways you could look at all those ideas. And um, I mean, I've got a pack of cards that sit in my desk where there's all the sort of mechanics you can use in loyalty that, that you, we've seen over the years that just allow you to become creative because you forget. And it's, it's hard to say become creative. It's not something that comes straight to mind. But if you can look at all the different examples, look at all the things that are available that other people have tried, you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's a great way of starting. Exactly. Sorry, you got, uh, so the one thing I'll just add on from what you, uh, I think the first comment you made, Ian, was when do you, it was around that big thing, don't look at the businesses, don't look for the big thing, look at the, for the small things. Because if you look at, there's usually not one miracle thing that's going to shift the dial. It's made up of multiple little things. So if you focus on the big thing that's going to shift the dial, you're going to be waiting quite a while little things along the way all mount up to doing that big thing. So I think if you're right around, focus on there's little things that pop under the radar that are really actually going to build up over time to create that capability and create that needle shift in your revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely right, Craig. Um, and the other one I'd, I would add right at the end is, is, is to say support innovation. I mean, um, I, I've had a very embarrassing moment in my life where I, there was a project that came up when I was at EDF where there was a gamification play where people were, went around your website and found found literally found cookies on the website and they you know and, and it was and this gamification part of the loyalty program ended up winning an award at Nectar and um, and I, I I could not have done more in my career to stand in front of this project um, <laughs> to my again to my shame and 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 probably there was a, a, someone looking down on me because. Um, on the day that the, this thing was up for an award, no one else in the senior manager team can make it, and I had to go along and um, <laughs> <laughs> it won. And I had to go up and accept this award on behalf of the company. And I felt like all the hubris. Oh my word! So anyway, again, apologies to make to people. Um, Alan, would you like to finish well, off on anything? You know what? I mean, one you of the say? one of the great, beautiful things about loyalty programs, these the, the reason that these uh, loyalty businesses are so valuable in the airline context is because of the art of bringing together customers, brands, and partners and doing it in a beautiful way. And I think that's something we've always got to bear in mind. And Craig, Craig was so right. It, it doesn't have to be big. It can be small. But every little nugget of tripartite value is usually based on a feeling rather than numbers. Because the numbers follow the feeling. And I'm a numbers guy, but in this context, I think feeling comes first. And if it, if it becomes too transactional, it's like seeing behind yeah. the, the, the stage, you know? 
Um, and, and customers can see that. And so Absolutely. it definitely is a balance. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that. So can I just say thank you to um, my guests tonight? So thank you very uh, much, Ian, Alan. my pleasure, as always. And thank you, Craig. Thanks for joining us in the morning. Always good, Ian. Always good, Alan. Thanks. And thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast tonight, please like, share and comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag LawTePodcast. And thank you all again, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks then, and goodbye.